Thank you, Matt. Good morning to everybody. Really great to be together. And uh, as Robert said a few moments ago, just a few days ago, we celebrated our national holiday, Thanksgiving Day. And it's, to me, it's, it's uh, one of those holidays that I think is just probably almost head and shoulders above most, of the, most, if not all, of the others. Because it brings families together and helps us to refocus, at least for that day, on things that we really have to be thankful for. And that helps us focus on our relationship with God. And I know that a whole lot of people who may not really pay much attention to their relationship with God through most of the year, on that day, at least they'll stop for a little bit and think about that, and I'm thankful for that. Whatever can guide people to think about their relationship with God, I'm thankful for. Good to have visitors with us today. We appreciate you being here so much. Please, our regular members, keep our members who are still traveling and away from us in your prayers as God will, that God will bring them back safely to us. And uh, if you're visiting with us, we hope that and we pray that you will be encouraged and strengthened spiritually by being here as we study God's word together and worship him together. We keep saying here at Sunny Slope, we just want to be the church that we all read about in the Bible. Nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. And so we're, we're blessed by your being here, and we pray that you will be blessed as well. We want to remind all of our ladies that next Saturday, 9 o'clock, ladies breakfast and you don't have to cook anything, you don't have to bring anything, just yourselves and a good appetite. And we'll take care of the rest and serve you. And so I uh, hope you can look forward to being here next Saturday, 9 o'clock. Over the last couple of Sundays, I've brought a couple of different lessons that I've entitled, Are You Neglecting Your Soul's Salvation? And I looked at that in the most basic sense in the first section of that study, by saying, you know, have you come to Christ yet? Have you stopped and repented of your sins and confessed your faith in Jesus as God's Son and your Lord and Savior and surrendered to him in baptism for the remission of your sins so that you could be saved, so that you could be forgiven, redeemed? Now that is where a whole lot of people are right now in our world and in our country. They have neglected their salvation in that way. And then I went on and I talked about how many people who have become Christians are still neglecting their salvation because somewhere along the line, they have not paid proper attention to their faithfulness. And so they have slipped away from dedication to God and Christ. They're neglecting their salvation. Then we looked in the second section of that study at several different ways that we can, without even thinking about it in a lot of cases, we can neglect our salvation. We can neglect our salvation by not being in God's word as we should, not paying much attention to studying his word so that we can stand approved before him, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, 2 Timothy 3, uh, 2 and verse 15. We can neglect our salvation with God by neglecting our prayer life with him and that very personal communion we have with the Father through prayer. What a blessing God has blessed us with. And, and we looked at a, also we can neglect our salvation by not paying attention to the good works that God has prepared for us to be involved in, Ephesians 2 and verse 10, and we look at the Apostle Paul writing the letter to Titus three different times in that letter, chapter 2, chapter 3, 
And three different times he emphasizes that we are to maintain good works as Christians. And so if we're kind of just sitting on the premises, instead of really living in the promises, and that means being actively faithful, serving God in a dedicated, active way, then we may be neglecting our salvation. Well, I thought this could be a good follow-up to that. And so I'm asking in this particular lesson, who will stop waiting first? Who will stop waiting first? And we're going to use as a basic text 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. We're going to do something of an exegesis of that particular text to study. Who will stop waiting first? When we think about how we go through life, there are many situations that we find ourselves in that cry out for a person to stop waiting and make up their mind. I remember as a very young boy, probably about eight years old or so, I don't remember the exact age, but I was just a little guy. And back then, there were no McDonald's, there were no Burger Kings, there were no Wendy's, there were no Arby's. There was no Taco Bell, there was no Taco John's, there was none of that stuff. And people did not go out to eat anything like the number of times or the frequency with which they go out to eat today. You just didn't do that much. If you did go out to eat, it was a treat to go out to eat. You ate at home, something that would be strange to a lot of people today, right? You know, eating at home all the time. And after church services, you'd bring somebody home with you frequently, or else you'd go to somebody else's house, but you didn't go out to eat. There, just, there weren't as many restaurants, and, and you just didn't do that as much. But I remember, and, and I loved to travel, and, and I, I think maybe part of that love was instilled in me when I was just that little shaver who would go with mom and dad from Chicago down to Tennessee and back to Chicago because they, you know, our family, a lot of family was still, was down in Tennessee. And so we'd go down frequently on trips and come back and got, dad would be at work the next, you know, that Monday morning and so on. But one thing was I knew when we were taking a trip, we were going to stop at a restaurant somewhere along the way and eat. And that was such a treat to me. We were going to eat out. I remember on one such trip, mom and dad and I were there, and so we were sitting down at the table in a restaurant, and the waitress comes over, and she goes through a list of items on the menu, and she asks my dad, what, which one will it be? And he said, I don't care. Well, that sounded strange to me. Kind of threw her back a little bit, so she went through the list again on the menu, probably in a little different order that time, and she asked him again, which one do you want? I don't care. And I sat there appalled. I mean, I, I sat there dumbfounded. So then my mom, she tried to motivate him to choose something, same answer. I don't care. And I just thought, you got to care. You got to make up your mind. You got to tell this lady something. You got to make a decision here. And finally, he did. Now, I didn't say that to him because I was a little eight year old. He was dad, you know. But uh, yeah, yeah, I was just dumbfounded. You get, there are situations where you have to make up your mind and take an action. 
How many, have you ever, maybe you can relate to this if you're married now, maybe you can relate back to when you were dating, or maybe if you're at the dating age now, you can relate to it right now. And so you say, okay, or maybe even as a married couple, you say, well, it's date night, let's go out. And I think all married couples need to have a date night. You say, let's go out. Where do you want to go? I don't care. Where do you want to go? I don't care. Well, do you want to go such and such, such and such? I don't care. Where do you want to go? Well, what about such and such, such? I don't care. Where do you want to go? Well, I don't care. Where would you like to go? You might spend 20 minutes going back and forth, asking each other, where do you want to go? I, I don't care. Have you ever been in the grocery store and you come to the checkout line and there's a line at each one of the registers you're first coming up to and you look at one and you say, you think in your mind, I'm going to walk on down the line here, see if I can find a shorter line. You go on down the line, they're all longer. You come back to that first one, it's now longer than it was when you walked on by it. Or how many times have we driven around and around a parking lot looking for a parking place closer to the entrance? And we finally just have to make up our mind, park somewhere. We've got to make up our minds. Who will stop waiting first? Most of us probably don't like to wait on other people in our lives, but we end up making ourselves wait while we prolong making a decision that reasonably could be made much more quickly. Who will stop waiting first when it comes to our relationship with God? A great many people are waiting needlessly and carelessly to make up their minds to obey God, to simply obey God and come to him his way through Jesus Christ. You know, God is still waiting. We could think of 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9. We'll look at that a little bit later. But he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He's waiting for you if you have not yet done that. But he expects you to make that move and come to repentance through Jesus Christ. The primary question we want to ask today is who will stop waiting first? You or God? And that should shake us to our souls. Again, our primary text is 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. We'll look at that in sections. When we think about what Peter wrote here, he's talking about a time shortly after Jesus ascended back to heaven, having gone to the cross, having been buried in the tomb, arisen from the grave, showed himself risen before hundreds and hundreds of individuals over a period of 40 days. The church has been established on Pentecost 10 days after he ascended to heaven. And the gospel has been spread. And one of the main messages of the gospel is Christ is coming back on a final day of judgment to judge mankind, to call us all to account. 
and to lead the saved, the redeemed, who are still on earth, to their heavenly home with him and the fathers in heaven. Well, the scriptures are given to us. God's word, unfortunately, so many people rarely, if ever, even open it up and read a single verse of scripture, let alone show themselves in any church building. But the scriptures were given to us to guide us to salvation through Jesus Christ, to teach us God's will for our lives and how wonderfully God has offered us the blessing of forgiveness and salvation through Christ. As we read 2 Peter chapter 3, the first two verses, Peter wrote, Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle, both of which I stir up your, your minds, your pure minds, by way of reminders that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the com commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. The Old Testament scriptures, well, the Israelites for sure had those for probably about 1,400 years as God was guiding the writers to write them down over a period of about, oh, 800 years or so. And they had those scriptures and they kept prophesying of the coming Messiah. And so Peter is writing this primarily to Christians, but the principle goes to all those who have not yet become Christians. But he's saying, I'm writing this as I did the first epistle, 1 Peter in other words, the first letter to remind you to stir up your pure minds, to make you mindful. We could just say to remind them, to keep it in the forefront of their minds of what you've been taught about the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, about coming to him, about following him faithfully and so on. Well, the scriptures were written to teach us about salvation in Christ Jesus and how to live that faithful Christian life before him. In Romans chapter 15 and verse 4, the apostle Paul wrote, whatever things were written before were written for our learning. He's talking about the Old Testament scriptures primarily there, that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope, might have hope. And then in 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 11, again, Paul writes, different letter to a different group of, of, of readers initially, but they're, both letters are for us today. And so he said, now all these things happened to them, speaking of all of those in Old Testament times, highlighted in those Old Testament scriptures, all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. We're in the final period of time of biblical history from a biblical perspective. We don't live in the patriarchal time in those first early generations when God spoke directly to the heads of the families such as Adam and, and Noah and so on. We don't live in the Mosaic age where God gave the written law to Israel through Moses and there's where we have most if not all of the Old Testament scriptures written, we live in the Christian age. This is the ultimate fulfillment period of God's prophecy going all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15 that he would send his son into this world as the savior of mankind. And, but this is the age in which we need to prepare ourselves and be ready for 
the end of human history on this earth and the transition into eternity in heaven. We need to prepare ourselves right now. And so, so Paul said, upon whom the ends of the ages have come, we're in that period of biblical history right now. Look at what John wrote as he was closing out his gospel account of Jesus Christ and his life on this earth and ministry on this earth. In John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, John wrote, truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his, of his disciples, which are not written in this book. Don't you wish we had more of what Jesus did? More of, of, of the glorious works that he did while he was on this earth? But that's how man would write. And, and when you look at the 21st chapter of John, John says, I suppose if everything he did was written down, the world could not contain all the books. Now that's hyperbole or purposeful exaggeration for effect, but he's saying that's not what God guided us to write down. He gave us the pertinent information that would be sufficient to build faith within the individual who comes to understand who Christ is and believes in him and is ready to follow him. And so he says, many signs which he did before his disciples were not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. God gave us sufficient material through the scriptures to guide us into faith. Faith comes by hearing the word of God, Romans 10 verse 17. Faith in Christ, our Lord and Savior, and thereby understanding that we put that faith into action through obedience as we're baptized into him and then live our lives serving him, living to, his, to, to God's glory through Jesus Christ. Now, we move on to verses 3 and 4. And here, Peter begins to deal with scoffers. Now, he's really kind of introducing that that particular direction of this immediate text of scripture in the first two verses, but here he starts to turn directly to the scoffers. The American Standard Version calls them mockers who were challenging even in that day, just a short period of time after Jesus ascended back to heaven and Peter and most of the rest of the apostles were still alive and out there teaching the gospel but there were already scoffers or mockers who were challenging the teaching that Jesus will come back to judge all mankind. And their line of reasoning for scoffing, for suggesting that, ah, this isn't really going to happen, was because in their mind, a long time had already passed and Jesus had not yet come. You know, see, we think in a finite kind of way, mostly. We can relate to things in our life right now, the immediate moment, and we can see into the future a little bit. But God did not say, I'm going to send Jesus back at a certain time. In fact, Jesus himself said, no one knows when that day is going to be except the Father in heaven. But it is appointed, as we'll see in a moment. So the scoffers challenged the teaching that Jesus is coming back, and Peter is addressing those scoffers directly here, procrastinators, you know, they think they'll always have time. 
Why? Because they always had time. <laughs> they keep putting off making those decisions. They keep putting off making up their mind to do this, to do that. They, you know, uh, yeah, well, they've always had time, so they'll always have time. But ultimately, all of our time runs out, doesn't it? We all come to the point where, where we can say, yeah, uh, my time is up. We keep thinking, I can take care of this as time goes on. I'll get to this, I'll get to that. But then the time passes by. When we look at Matthew chapter 22, 24 and verses, uh, I'm going to read 2 Peter chapter 3, verses, uh, verses 3 and 4 first. Knowing this, that the scoffers will in the last days walk, will come in the last days walking according to their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Well, all things had not continued as they were from the beginning of creation. Those scoffers must have forgotten about the flood in Noah's day, through which God started over with humanity and basically with the world. In Matthew chapter 24, beginning with verse 42, Jesus says, Watch, therefore, for you do not know what hour the Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Now here's the point. He's not talking about put a new alarm system on your house here or buy a big dog that can protect you in case somebody tries to break in. He's just using that as an illustration. And here's the point he's trying to make. Therefore, you also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Peter's telling those scoffers back there, and he's going to get to that specifically in a moment, but he says, you're, you're scoffing, why? Because it's been what, 20 years or so since the Lord was here, since he ascended back to heaven, and he hasn't come in your time frame, and so you're saying, ah, it's never going to happen. This is just, you know, just made up. This is just fable. Well, Jesus said, he's coming back at an hour that is not expected. And so we need to be careful to think that things have always gone on this way. They're just always going to go on this way. I've had all of this time. I procrastinated a lot. But see, I got through that time. So I'll still put off what I need to do until sometime later. But then how many of us have gotten phone calls about somebody who passed away unexpectedly, suddenly, and their time had run out? We need to pay attention to the time. The scoffers need to remember that God initially created the world and subsequently destroyed it already once by water. His word affirms that he will destroy it again, this time by fire. And since God is eternal, then time as we know it and experience has absolutely no meaning to God. So when we say in Peter's day as he wrote that, say 20 years or 30 years after Jesus had ascended back to heaven, that really wasn't much time. I can remember 30 years back in my lifetime, and many of us can. But Peter's saying, look, time has no meaning to God. And so we read verses 5 through 8. 
For this, Peter writes, for this they willfully forget. Who forgets it? The scoffers. Those who are taking security, self-security, in the passing of time with Jesus not having come back yet to call all mankind to judgment. But we're all amenable to God's will through his word communicated to us in scripture. And so we're all amenable. We're responsible to live by his teachings, his instructions. Whether Jesus has come back yet right now or not. And so Peter goes on and he says, for this, they, the, will, the scoffers, they willingly forget that by the word of God, the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of water and in the water by which the world that then existed perished being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with God or with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. In other words, again, God is eternal, and as we experience time, time has no meaning for him. God patiently waited for humanity to come to repentance at least some of humanity to come to repentance. For around a hundred years, while Noah and his family were preparing the ark, during that hundred or so years, people could have repented. They could have pitched in and helped Noah and his family build that ark. They could have prayed to God for forgiveness, but the scripture record indicates nobody did. In 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 20, who formerly were disobedient when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight souls, were saved through water. God waited. But the scripture text seems to indicate nobody came. Nobody came. Most perished in the flood and most people are waiting too long today. Matthew 7, beginning with verse 13, Jesus said, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it, but narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. Most people are walking down the pathway, the broad highway to destruction. Eternal condemnation in hell. Jesus says it's only the few who are staying on the straight and narrow pathway of truth, God's truth, that leads to heaven. We need to quit waiting to make the change if we're on the wrong road. God is waiting right now. He's again patiently waiting as he did in the days of Noah for a hundred years or so. But nobody else came to him. That seems to be what the scripture text is telling us. But as in the days of Noah, a hundred years or so passed by while the ark is being built and prepared for the flood. But the hundred years came to an end and God stopped waiting. 
just as in Noah's day, even though God is waiting now, he will not wait forever. He expects all who have not yet done so to repent and come to him for forgiveness. What did Jesus say in Luke 13 and verse 3 and again in verse 5? Except you repent, you will all likewise perish. God waited in the days of Noah. Nobody came. He destroyed the world. God is waiting now. Do you need to come to him? Do you need to come to him? He expects you to do so and repent. In 1, Peter, uh, 1 Timothy chapter, uh, going back to 2 Peter chapter 3, let me read verses 9 and 10. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering. He is patient toward us, not willing that any should perish. He wants all to be saved, but his willingness, he wants all to come to repentance. But, and there's the transition word there, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. He will stop waiting one day in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Just as at the end of that hundred or so years that he waited in the days of Noah, the flood came and destroyed the world with water. God is waiting now. And he's waiting in your personal life if you're not right with him now. But he'll stop waiting one day. He'll stop waiting for all of humanity one day to come to him. And when you think of where humanity is right now, most are away from him. I think we can conclude that dogmatically, without question. One day, God will stop waiting. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Again, his desire is for all to be saved. But you've got to come to the knowledge of the truth. You've got to come to repentance. He keeps right now, God keeps waiting and waiting and waiting. But how long will he wait for us individually to make a decision? His grace is seen in his patience, if you stop and think about it. And Paul brings this out in Romans chapter 2, beginning with verse 4. Do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering? Talking about patience, God's patience with us. Not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance. His patience is meant to ultimately motivate us, give us time to come to our senses and to make up our minds to stop waiting ourselves. But in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and, and revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will render to each one according to his deeds. One day God will stop waiting. One day God will send his son, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, back to this earth. That'll be the final day of judgment. And he will call all of humanity to account for how we have lived our lives while in this world. In Acts chapter 17, beginning with verse 30, Paul said, truly these times of ignorance God overlooked. Somewhere, somehow, back in Old Testament times, to some extent, in some way, 
God overlooked ignorance, but no longer. Because Paul says, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. Because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained, he has given assurance of this to, of this to all by raising him from the dead. Do you see that word appointed? He has appointed a day. And the Hebrews writer said the same thing. Hebrews 9 and verse 27. It is appointed for men to die once, but after this the judgment. That day is appointed. That day is coming. On that day, our time to get ready will have run out. But right now, God is still waiting for you to repent. He's still waiting for you to come to him through Jesus Christ. And you're waiting for what? What is it you're waiting for? To come to God through Christ? To be obedient? To repent of your sins? To be baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins? What are you waiting for? Time is running out. Time is running out. You need to take advantage of the time. James chapter 4, verses 13 and 14. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go, and, uh, we will, uh, go to, uh, to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell, make a profit. James says, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. You don't even know if you're going to be alive tomorrow, he says. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. You've got right now the immediate moment. What are you waiting for? In verse 17, he goes on and says, Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. And that's called the sin of omission. We can relate quickly to the sin of commission, where we say we've done something that is sinful. But James says there's a sin of omission where you don't do something that God has instructed you to do. And that's the sin of omission. Time is running out. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 10, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Time is running out. And the primary question, again, who will stop waiting first? In 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 2, the Apostle Paul emphasized, Behold, now, the immediate moment is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Because right now is all we really have that we can be assured of. We don't know about tomorrow. We don't know about next week. We don't know about next year, but we know about right now. And so we come back to that primary question. Who will stop waiting first? Will you stop waiting first to come to God through Jesus Christ? Repenting of your sins, confessing your faith in him openly as God's son and your Lord and Savior. Being baptized into him for the remission of your sins and salvation. Being born again spiritually, John 3 verses 3 through 5. Or will God stop waiting for you and your time will have run out? If you need to come, don't put it off. 
If you need to study with somebody, please talk to us so we can help you with that. Or if you need the prayers of the church, please step forward and let us know or talk with us privately. We want to help. We want to help you to stop waiting first. If you need to come, come right now as we stand together and sing. What a song of